you beautiful people and welcome back to another episode of So I Got My BFA. If you are new here, my name is Kelsey and this is a podcast where I ramble on for about an hour to an hour and a half and talk about all of the things that I feel qualified to talk about because I have a BFA in musical theater. Um, just a couple of things before we get into the episode. If you are new here, thank you so much for listening. Um, welcome and uh, hold on tight. Um, and if you're returning, thank you so much for coming back each week and listening to my lovely voice for an hour. Um, if you could, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give me a rating and a review. And if you're on Spotify, go ahead and give me a download. That really, really helps me out. And um, it just makes me love you guys so much more. Uh, and with that, let's get into the episode. I'm just talking, babbling. This is what you came here for, isn't it? <laughs> Hello guys and good morning. At least it's morning when I'm filming this, which is weird because I'm usually filming these around 11 p.m. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and the cars are a honking outside today in the beautiful city of New York. Um, it's actually very, very pretty outside today. I think it's like 45, um, which if you're listening from anywhere in the South, that is considered warm. Um, and the sun is shining, and I think I'm gonna go on a walk today because it is just very pretty outside. I feel like I should be singing, oh, what a beautiful morning, but I won't continue because I don't want to be copyrighted. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's really, really pretty, and it's really nice because it has not been so pretty for the past few weeks. Guys, it will not stop snowing here. It literally snows about every other day or it has been um and it's it's like a mind trick because it'll be like sunny and like 45 like it is today and then the next day snow and you're like where did you come from and can you please give it a rest um <laughs> i'm originally from texas so i don't really see snow all that often or i didn't growing up and so when i first came to new york it was like this magical fluffy beautiful white powdery lusciousness and it still is every once in a while um especially like the first snows of the the year I get really excited but it has gotten to a point where um it is now the end of February and I know that that's you know normal for New York but um I'm like let's get into spring let's bring those spring vibes those pastel colors um and the flowers blooming, and the bright energies, and I I just want it to be springtime, but I know that I have about four months to go in New York. Yeah, that's the weather. I'm glad we talked about the weather, as, you know, most, you know, people do on podcast. Um, <laughs> anyway, guys, I have a new setup. I am no longer, I feel like um, I get more and more professional, accidentally professional, every time I film one a new podcast. Um, so now I have a very professional microphone um, that I got for Christmas. Now I am set up on a desk slash vanity that I have built myself. I am still in the process of, I mean, I moved a while ago, but I'm still in the process of creating my room and the atmosphere around my room. Um, and I just purchased this vanity that I built with my own two hands because I don't need a man in my life. Um, she said with tears in her eyes. Um, 
guys, I felt like I can do it. I feel like I can do anything now. Like, let's go like climb Mount Everest. Like I, you know, put together this vanity that may or may not fall apart in the next few months. But um, for right now, it's standing. And uh, it's really convenient because beforehand, I had been bringing, so my roommate and I have this very, very tiny round table that um, we don't eat at ever because we are generally eating just on the couch um, and at the coffee table, but um, we have it in the apartment. And so because we never use it, I bring it like in and out of my room to like record these podcasts. Now I no longer have to transfer it from the uh, the living room to my bedroom, and I have this nice setup. The only downside is that now, um, as I'm speaking to you, I am also looking at myself and just staring myself down in a giant mirror that's in front of me, and, and uh, that's very intimidating. And so that's my new setup, and I'm really excited about it, and I hope that it stays intact for more than two months. That would be great. I feel like we have so much to talk about because I haven't see, like I haven't seen you guys. I've never seen you guys. Um, I see you in my heart, <laughs> but I haven't talked to you guys in two weeks. Last week was very very busy, and I was not able to sit down and record. And I didn't want to just like throw something together. Um, I could have, but I didn't. It would have been very last minute, and I didn't really want to just like throw something together and put it out just for the sake of putting something out there. So I decided to take a week off and um, just relax a little bit um, within the very busy week. But we are back and better than ever. And um, if you guys are listening weekly, um, I'm sorry you didn't have an episode last week, but I know that most of you guys are just, you know, listening and trying to catch up. Um, so you're welcome. I gave you a week <laughs> to catch up. Um, but things, a lot of things have happened in the last two weeks. Valentine's Day, um, Genevieve and I, who is not here today, unfortunately, it's just me, um, you're going to be talking to for the next hour to an hour and a half. Um, maybe like, I'll try to keep this shorter. And I feel like I tend to say that every time and then it just gets longer and longer and longer, but that's okay. It's fine. But Genevieve is not here with me today. If you are just so desperately missing her voice, you can go listen to my Once on this Island, my Les Mis, um, the Urinetown episode, and the Spamalot episode. Those are the episodes that Genevieve is also on. And there are sirens outside my apartment right now. Hello. Good morning. Um... <laughs> Yeah, if you're missing her voice, you can go totally check out those episodes. She's great, and she is dearly missed, um, but she is taking care of a baby right now, so we're going to let her do that. But back to Valentine's Day. Genevieve and I went on a little tiny um, friendship date since, um, with tears in her eyes, she said um, <laughs> there was no uh, real date. But um, we went to one of our favorite Italian restaurants um, in Queens, we went to one of our favorite little Italian restaurants in Queens and uh, actually um, we're seated in a section where like this, the waiter knew who we were. Um, he more knew Genevieve because Genevieve has gone there more times than I have. I only, I she goes all the time. I go occasionally. Um, and so he knew her. And also, um, I don't want to say that maybe he felt bad that we were alone on Valentine's Day, but he bought our dessert and that, my friends, is why you don't need a boyfriend on Valentine's Day. Just go to a nice restaurant with your friend 
and have the nice waiter feel sorry for you. <laughs> it was very, very sweet. He said he w the dessert was on him and we literally like teared up. It was so nice. And then we came back and we had, we watched some Gilmore Girls and we, we also watched Friends, which I um, have to update you guys on. I am absolutely loving. Um, I'm very into it. Um, we just finished season one and so we are, um, we are working on all of the seasons of it, but um, I'm very excited to see like where it's gonna go. Um, I already know some plot lines that are gonna happen, so I'm excited to see those unfold. Yeah, I'm super, I, I can't believe it took me this long to watch it. I did try to watch it in high school, but I felt like it was like the wrong time. I felt like I really needed to like be with someone else and watch it with someone else and not just, it's not really a show I think I could have binged just like in my room alone on my computer. But I am very excited that I'm now into it. And thank you, Genevieve, if you're listening to this, um, for introducing me to it. We just finished season three of Gilmore Girls. I'm very, very excited. Season four is coming and I'm very excited about the finale. Not to give anything away. So Genevieve, if you're listening to this, don't listen to that part. But um, things are exciting. Things are coming at the end of season four. So that was Valentine's Day. Other things that have happened. Oh, um, I sent in my first self-tape audition in a year yesterday. I sent that in. I, I mean, I don't know if anything will come of it. If it does, I'll definitely like let you guys know. I don't want to tell you what it is or anything because I don't want to give out details. Too many de details right now. But um, I, it, whether anything comes of it or not, it's just it was exciting to put on makeup and um, perform and, you know, audition for something, um, when the theater business has been shut down for so long and it felt like we haven't been able to do those things. It's just very, very exciting to, um, feel like we were back on the grind and we were back into it. Um, even for just one day, it was very exciting to like set everything up and to do the audition and, um, if something comes out of it, I will be very happy. If not, it was still like, it's, it's just, I think that, um, something that's really important to continue to do, um, for actors, especially who are not, you know, still in college to just like continue to like work on your craft every day, um, and continue to do things that, um, challenge you and, um, uh, just, just keep just keep creating. And if that means filming a self-tape every once in a while, whether you're going to send it in or not, I think that it's important to just, you know, stay on top of those things and to continue to practice because self-tapes in itself are an art. Because um, I know when I go into an audition room, I always feel more comfortable performing than when I'm in front of a, a camera and a self-tape because there's like an energy that you get from the people that are surrounding you and the people you're performing for. There's a, 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 a type of energy. There's also an adrenaline because of nerves that hits you. And it just like makes you like this me for me anyway, it just gives you that like extra quality of performance. Um, and it's really hard to do that in front of a self tape. So I think it's just important to stay on top of that, whether you're submitting them or not, um, just to like continue to practice that. So tip of the day. From someone who has her BFA, that's what I mean to say. <laughs> um, um, and that was basically the two weeks. I mean, a lot of more things happened, but I feel like I've just rambled on um, for quite some time. So um, maybe I'll talk about them in the next podcast, the things that have happened. So with that said, let's go ahead and move on to the weekly obsessions. I have been reading some plays these past two weeks, 
And one of them that I just recently finished has made the list of weekly obsessions. It is called Five Women Wearing the Same Dress by Alan Ball. Um, I was actually given this play freshman year, um, just like as a gift, I believe. But I never ended up reading it because you know, when you're in acting school, you have so many plays that you have to read anyway that sometimes like extracurricular, you know, plays just get tossed to the wayside when you're not you know, necessarily studying them. And I was like, it's quarantine. I can, I have all the time in the world. And so I started reading some of the plays that I had kind of set aside for future endeavors. And this play, I just I picked it up. Um, I didn't know anything what it was about. I, I, um, I read like a little bit of it, I think a few years ago, but I never really finished it. So I couldn't remember what it was about, but I really, really enjoyed it. And it's just, I love simplicity when it comes to theater because I feel like the, the simpler like the plot line and the story is, the more you can do with it um, performance-wise, I believe. And it's also just, I love like a simple story. And I think that is shown in like my favorite TV shows. I love Gilmore Girls because it's not like zombies aren't coming out of the wayside and, you know, like nobody's like fighting crime. And it's just like a simple story. The stakes are very low. I mean, the height of the drama is, you know, Emily rambling about something. Um, and I just love, I just love simplistic storylines. It makes me feel like at home. It makes me feel nostalgic. And, um, this play has a very, very simple storyline. Uh, it gets dramatic-ish towards the end, but like nothing really like blows the top off of anything. It's just, it's about five girls who are bridesmaids at this wedding. We never meet the bride. We only see the, the five girls wearing the same dress. And um, it's so, I love like character contrast as well. And I think that that's what this show does really well is it just has like these five different personalities in this one room trying to coexist. And um, around the events of the day and everything that's happening at the wedding. And um, I highly, highly recommend. Again, it's called Five Women Wearing the Same Dress by Alan Ball. There are a lot of monologue opportunities in the show. And the women range from, I believe, like 21 to like early 30s. So really, and a lot of the monologues I feel like I like pinpointed in the show could be used um, for for anyone in in that age range, and um, even like the 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 characters who are in their thirties. I feel like those monologues can still be pinpointed to a younger um, artist as well. So if you're looking for monologues, I definitely would check out that show. There are some um, good ones and some juicy ones, and also just like they're like they're good, but they're also simplistic. So it shows more off of a um, like a let me talk about it everyday life rather than um, there are, I mean, there's a time and place for high stake monologues. I know that, but I also think that there's something really authentic if you can walk in with a monologue that is, um, it's, it's more like a conversation and it's, um, you can just show your simplistic and authentic self in that monologue. And also when you're looking for monologue, you want to find something that really shows off who you are um, and not necessarily like a character you're trying to portray. Um, and and it, it varies from different 
situations and what you're auditioning for. But like most of the time, I feel like when someone wants to see a monologue, especially if you're auditioning for colleges with monologues, they don't want to see a character. They want to see you through the character. So finding monologues that really um, speak as your truth or that you can relate to are really important to find. Anyway, little tiny tangent, um, but I'm very obsessed with um, that play. And so it made the weekly obsessions week. The next obsession that I am obsessed with, I have talked about this before on the podcast, but I recently just subscribed to the on-demand for The Limit Fit. Um, It is a workout um, program coordinated and run by Beth Nicely, who is a Broadway actrice. She has been in Chicago, Something Rotten, um, Young Frankenstein, on and on and on and on. She was a rocket. Um, And she is the most in-shape person I have ever seen in my entire life. Like, the woman, like, doesn't stop. She is so amazing and what I love about her videos are are that she's not afraid to push you, but she's also like such a light um, and a joy to work out with. And even on the on-demand videos, it's like you're in the room with her and um, she's pushing you. And, uh, and the workouts are freaking hard. Like they are so hard. It's like the hardest workouts, some of the hardest like cardio workouts I've ever done in my entire life. Um, she definitely loves those dance cardio videos, and um, she also offers toning classes. And I just find that it was a really, really good way for me to stay, one, engaged in some aspect of dancing um, while taking, like, dance classes on the side. But, like, also, like, this is just a really fun a fun way to work out and, you know, work on some coordination skills as well. And um, she offers toning classes And it's just like a a great way to to stay active and in shape during this down period where it can feel easy to, you know, just sit on the couch and watch TV all day, which, you know, is is, you do that. But then you also have some like active engagement. Um, But like, I just wanted to talk about that. Um, I love, love, love her on demand classes. She also offers um, hour long classes. Uh, She has trampoline classes. cardio dance classes, cardio toning classes. Um, and then on Saturday, she offers a, a Saturday dance party, which is um, donation-based. And um, you can just sign up, uh, donate, whatever you can. And it's just a dance cardio class for an hour. And then on Sunday, she actually trains Sutton Foster, um, which is really how I kind of like found out about this. But um, she Sutton goes live on her Instagram and does those workouts every Sunday, um, like her personal training workouts um, live so that everyone can kind of see what it's like. Um, she also offers personal training. I um, do the on-demand stuff because that is what I can afford at the moment. But yeah, I would definitely recommend if you are looking for a fun way to stay active, Um, and to, you know, have a fun time just dancing it out while also burning some calories, I definitely, definitely recommend The Limit Fit. Um, And you can find, it's, the website is literally thelimitfit.com. And um, yeah, so that made the weekly obsessions list as well. And my last weekly obsession, I have to put a disclaimer on because this is not happening. This is, as far as I know, this is not a thing that is happening. This is something that I have completely made up in my mind that I have become obsessed with trying to figure out a way to make it happen. 
We have had all of these musical adaptations of popular movies. Where is the Princess Diaries, the musical? Like I, I have become, it made the weekly obsession list because I have become obsessed with why there is not, this has not become a topic of discussion. I just really believe in my heart that this would make such a good musical. It was one of my favorite movies growing up. Um, I, th- I think my character development as a child was very much influenced by Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews um, in this movie. It is so such a good movie. I think it would make for such a good musical. And I really just want to play Mia Thermopolis in um, the Princess Diary musical. So if we could just like make that happen. Um, I actually saw, so every so once in a while you see like, um, different musicals on TikTok. Ratatouille was really the one that took off, but like Bridgerton, the musical on TikTok is really happening right now. But I saw one singular video that was like the Princess Diaries musical and someone sang a song. And I was like, I am, I can get behind. This is one that I can get behind because I have been wanting this to be a musical for so long. And um, if TikTok is the way to make it happen, then like... <laughs> albeit TikTok is the way to make it happen. But no, I um, it made the Weekly Obsession chart not because like it's happening, um, because again, it is not, or if it is, I do not know that it is. So um, disclaimer. Um, but it's just something that I really, really like to see happen. So it made my Weekly Obsession list because hopefully by me talking about it on this podcast that reaches about 10 people per episode, um, it, you know, I can, I can like, you know, influence it to maybe happen on the Broadway one day. <laughs> but anyway, that wraps up the weekly sessions of the week. So let's go ahead and get into the musical of the week. I'm very, very excited this week. We are talking about Dog Fight, the musical. I am obsessed with the score. Um, I, I, I just, I love the musical. I don't love all of the plot points, which we'll talk about later, but I'm very, very excited to talk about it today. I feel like I have a lot of things to say. Um, and here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to not go bit by bit um, in the musical because I really want to, it's so hard when you're by yourself to just have a conversation about something, but I want to like have more of like a conversation about the musical than go like piece by piece um, in the plot line, which is what I've tend tended to do in the past. Um, so I'm trying something new. Um, and I may, you know, just resort back to uh, talking about it, but I think that it's, it's better to just have a conversation with you guys about things that I like about the musical, things that I don't, things that I think should maybe change, um, things that I think could maybe have made it better and just have a conversation about, you know, the characters' journeys and everything like that, rather than just, just go like chronologically through the musical with you guys. So, Let's get right into it with the Wikipedia synopsis, which I have now officially changed to the stage agent synopsis because Wikipedia, I don't know why I had so much, you know, like luck with it in the first few musicals that I did where the Wikipedia would give me a synopsis, but now it literally just has decided that it's no longer going to um, do an overview at the beginning of the Wikipedia page. So this is the stage agent synopsis. <clears throat> In 1967, Eddie Birdlace returns from the Vietnam War. He is going back to San Francisco, where he spent his last night in the United States before shipping out. His memories of that night flood back. It is November 21st, 1963, and Eddie and his best friends, Bolin and Bernstein, the three Bs, decide to spend their last night before deployment in a dogfight. Who can find the ugliest girl in town and bring her to the party where she will be judged? 
The Marines enthusiastically jump into the cruel contest, but when Eddie finally finds Rose Fenny, an awkward waitress who has never been out on a date, he has a change of heart. She learns about the dogfight, but is determined to not let it define her as an ugly and pathetic girl, and her optimism has a profound effect on Eddie's worldview. Now, here's what I'll say about the synopsis. <clears throat> kind of spoiler alert! Like, I yes, it told me all that I needed to know about the musical, but it was a little, you know, it gave away a little too much plot. Now, there have been some synopsises that do not... I don't feel really, you know, capture the musical, but there are some that are perfect, and then there are some that I feel like, you know, you just gave me too much information, and I feel like this one might be one of those that I'm like, mm, listen, I now, now I don't need to see the show because I know exactly what happens. But nonetheless, that is Dogfight the Musical. This was Pasek and Paul's. If you've heard that name, maybe you've seen their work, you know, and most recently, Dear Evan Hansen. Um, also more, um, niche, A Christmas Story, the musical. <laughs> this was kind of their first, you know, big hit. And I, I, if I believe, if I remember correctly, they did this, like, right out of college. I don't remember if they dropped. I think they went to Michigan. See, what I don't do before I film these podcasts is fact check. And, um, so I'm either, I'm really just rocking my, you know, like, BFA brain right now and saying, is this correct? Um, maybe I should fact check, but regardless, this was Passing and Paul's first, you know, like big hit. Um, they were new names to the Broadway slash off-Broadway community because this musical is the first off-Broadway musical that I am talking about. And you guys know what that means. It means today's BFA lesson of the week. Um, we are going to talk about Broadway versus off-Broadway. So really... The, the biggest difference really is size and scale of the show and the stage and the theater and also has to do with location. Now, this is where I go back four years to my musical or history of musical theater class freshman year of college and I try to recall all of the things that I talked about when my group uh, was selected to do the presentation on off-Broadway musicals. Um, now I will say this presentation was the last presentation that we had to do. So it was in the, at the end of the semester, things were busy and um, we kind of just threw it together. Um, so if my musical history of musical theater teacher is listening to this, I'm so sorry for this performance. But um, anyway, so we talked about the Fantastics because the Fantastics was kind of the you know, the first big off-Broadway musical. So basically the difference is, first of all, it has to do with capacity of the theater. So if, I've rem if I'm remembering correctly, I believe off-Broadway can seat anywhere from 99 to 499 seats in the house, and then anything bigger is technically considered Broadway. But of course there are exceptions to both I believe like I there are exceptions, but that's like the standard. Um, and then I believe anything below 99 is technically considered off off Broadway. Again, do I fact check before I say things? No, I just hope that I remember correctly from, you know, BFA brain. And um, uh, another thing is location um, can separate the difference. A lot of the Broadway theaters 
are in within the like mostly in the Times Square area. And I actually think that there is a cutoff street, like it's from this street to this street, you are considered Broadway. And then like anything further away is considered off-Broadway. So most of the off-Broadway theaters that you see are kind of located in the Greenwich Village area, whereas like Broadway is located, <clears throat> you know, like 42nd Street to about like mm, 53rd-ish. Um, and there's definitely, I mean, those aren't the stipulations, but that's where you see most of them. And actually, there's only, I think there's only three theaters that are actually on Broadway Street. I believe that that's the Winter Garden, the Marquise, and the Broadway Theater. Um, so most of the broad, most Broadway theaters aren't even like on Broadway <laughs> Street, which I find, you know, really funny because, you know, humor. Location and capacity are really the two, like, determining factors, I guess. But when you're like an audience member and you don't really care like where you're going to see the show, you look more at it as a, um, a small scale versus large scale, I would say. Um, Off-Broadway musicals tend to be smaller scale. So that just means that normally they have a lower budget. Um, so the sets aren't as big. Um, again, the theater capacity isn't as large. And I, what I've noticed from the off-Broadway shows that I've seen is that the cast seem to be smaller. So instead of having these huge ensemble casts where, like, if you have minor characters, they're played by, like, every different member of the ensemble, you have, like, a set cast of, like, about six to ten, I would say. And those characters, while they have their own individual characters, they are creating the ensemble as well. Um, the most prominent in my mind right now is Be More Chill. Um, Be More Chill did eventually move to Broadway, but it was created and originated as an off-Broadway show. And that's where it really got its, um, its following. And um, so if you look at that show, you see um, Will Rowland's character, Jeremy, and he's like the main character of that show. And then you see um, George Salazar's character, Michael and um, Brooke and Chloe and all of these other characters who are characters in the show, but they also create the atmosphere of the ensemble. They are in almost every number, whether that specific character is technically in the number or not. They are creating the scenery. They are, you know, they, they are the ensemble. So that's the biggest difference in my mind is like, not necessarily like I'm going to an off-Broadway show because it's not in Times Square or it's not blah, blah, blah. Um, I tend to notice off-Broadway versus Broadway more on like scale of the show. And honestly, like we've seen a lot of off-Broadway shows go to Broadway. We've also seen Broadway shows go to off-Broadway. Um, Avenue Q, for example, started on Broadway and then moved to off-Broadway um, where it had its long, its really, really long run. And then we see shows like um, Be More Chill and The Lightning Thief who started off-Broadway and they moved to Broadway for limited runs. Um, but still, like, they did get to move on Broadway. Um, and so that's really the difference between Broadway and off-Broadway. If you really want to just take it into technical terms, it is, like, based on location and capacity of the theater. But, like, in, like, the broader scheme, they're just smaller-scale Broadway shows. The quality, I 
tend to find are very, very similar. Um, I have never not enjoyed a Broadway, uh, an off-Broadway show because of the quality of performance. Like, it is still, like, very up to par with Broadway standards. But enough about that, because we are talking about Dogfight, which is and lived and breathed as an off-Broadway musical. Um, what I really like about this musical is that I feel like it can be performed anywhere, maybe not high school, simply because there is a lot of um, language in this show that I, I mean, if your high school is down with, I mean, I've seen high schools do Spring Awakening and shows of that nature. So if your high school is down with that, then like, it'd be great for you. But like, I just feel like the language barrier in this show is like not so suited for high school, but I feel like the show would thrive really well in a college atmosphere, um, also really well in um, a regional theater um, capacity. And it also just has like, it has like this cult following. It was so um, well received when it first came out. Um, that I, and I, I love shows that are like manageable to do at smaller in smaller scales. Um, locations Um, because it's just more accessibility for people to be able to perform and to get the shows out there because again like yes it was off-Broadway that means that like the people people may not have like that might not have been like the show that they were going to go see if they came to New York um, to see Broadway shows so it's just more accessible to the public to um, get these shows out there and um, so I like that it was kind of built to be to be performed on the smaller scales. Um, the show really revolves around two main characters, and that's Rose and Eddie. They are, like, the staples of the show. And then, again, the ensemble is built with... Um, we have Marcy, and we have um, Boland and Bernstein. And then, um, a, a, I would say, like, up to, like, two to three other... Um, Marines, and then like a very small, like two to three um, ensemble of uh, females, um, and that's really what the the legs that the the show stand on. And the storyline is basically between Eddie and Rose, and then we see Eddie with his two friends. And in the original Off Broadway cast, of course, those two characters are played by none other than Lindsay Mendez and Derek Klena. And if you know, you know, I love that duo. Um, I actually, I did not see Dogfight, except for the bootleg, but I did get to see that pair on Broadway in Wicked, um, and I mean, to this day, like, that, that was my favorite, I, one of my favorite performances of Wicked was with Lindsay Mendez and Derek Klena, that pairing, I just think they work so well together, they really, like, they work off of each other so well, um, they have a, a really nice friendship outside of the shows as well that you can see if you follow their social medias. Um, and I just think that they work so well together and they're so cute. And I love, I love Derek Klena. We already know. And I love Lindsay Mendez too. Um, I could rave on about, she is so good. Um, the day I saw her in Carousel, I literally walked out of that theater and I said, she's going to win the Tony. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter who she was going up against. It like, it didn't matter what, like who was nominated. She was going to win the Tony for Carousel. The things that she did with, um, Carrie was so amazing. I think she, first of all, she has a phenomenal voice that is like, 
so uniquely hers. It's like when you hear her voice, you're like, that's Lindsay Mendez. It does not blend in with anyone else's voice. You automatically know she's so good. But I think what really sets her apart from everyone else in my mind is her acting. I could sit and watch the woman act for days. She like her beat work is so clear. Her comedy, her ability to create comical moments in shows, it's just like so point on. Like even, or so on point. I mean, even in Wicked, like Alphaba, who has comical moments, but is not necessarily like the comical character. There were like lots of moments that she was able to develop and create, and I love watching that as an actor who watches, you know, professional theater. I love watching and seeing when the actor did the work beforehand because there's lots of shows where you go in and you're like hmm I don't necessarily think that they did all of the work they could have but when you like really watch the actors who do you can tell and it's so it's just so good so like I could I could go on for days talking about Lindsay Mendez's acting but like that Tony for Carousel was well well deserved um she was incredible um, and then Derek Klenna, of course, is just, like, <laughs> my favorite. I really hope he wins for Jagged Little Pill. I haven't seen him in it, but I'm sure he's amazing. And um, it's so funny because the thing, the first thing he did before this, I was watching an interview, and he was, like, the, of of him talking about Dogfight. And they were, like, so we've just seen you in Carrie. And I was, like, oh, Carrie. I feel like that was, like, that was, like, kind of the start of his career. Um And so, like, it's so weird to see, like, Dogfight, like, came after Carrie. And, but, like, now we, now we know him as so, such a a big success. Um, Wicked, Anastasia, Jagged Little Pill. Um, I'm sure I'm missing something. But, um, he's such a cutie and he's so good. And I just love watching him on stage. Um, and so those two powerhouses, of course, drove this entire show. So now that we've talked about the actors, I really want to talk about the score and the journey of the score and what I like and what I don't necessarily like about the score. Um, first of all, the score is phenomenal and I think it's a really good score to just like sit down and listen to. Um, I love that there are uplifting, um, jovial, lighthearted moments and they're also contrasted with so much like there's a lot of devastation and heartbreak, um, but also... Um, like lighthearted ballads as well. I think it has a really good mix. And what I really like that the score does for the main characters, at least, is it shows their journey. And um, so like take Rose, for example. First, we see Nothing Short of Wonderful, where we really see her naivete and her innocence and um, her just like frantic, you know, rambling about like what to do because she's never been invited to a party. And we see that transition into pretty funny where we see heartbreak and devastation and um all while like because rose's whole message in the show is that if you approach something with positivity and optimism you can really have an effect on someone's life and you can have an effect on your own as well and that's a message that i really enjoy in the show But when we see Pretty Funny, we see her kind of break. And we have to see that break to be able to get to before it's over. Um, 
because you can't go straight from nothing short of wonderful to before it's over. You have to have pretty funny to be able to see the character's journey. And I think that that's something that Pasek and Paul did really, really well with this score in this book is it took it, they took these characters on journeys through musical numbers. Um, I mean, as well as plot line and um, dialogue as well. But what I love about a score is that you can, you don't need the dialogue. You can see the character's journey in through the songs. Um, and I think that they did that really well. They do it with um, Derek Klenna's character as well, Eddie. Um, it's a little bit twisted with Eddie because Eddie is, he comes in and we go straight to a flashback. So his journey is a little bit different. But again, we see him from, you know, um, some kind of time to come to a party where he's really, really not a nice person. Um, I want to talk about come to a party for one second while we're on the topic because I, first of all, I love the song. I think it's so good and clever, but going back and like studying it while I was preparing for this podcast, oh my gosh, Eddie is a psychopath. Like he, he isn't just looking for any, oh, brought off the street to like bring to this party um he's messing with like true emotions and he's like making rose feel something and trying to get into her mind by seeming like this really really good guy and um and, and it's it's like taking it to the next step which is why I think that like I don't I have trouble like finding redemption for him until like really later on in the musical because it's just like, oh, it's just like psychotic. Like, it, and, and it messed with your minds. It, it messes with Rose's mind. And um, especially seeing like her innocence. Cause Eddie, Eddie, it's almost like Eddie is like a psychopath. Like, he kind of can see. He sees Rose's naivete and innocence and takes it and twists it and uses it as leverage to get her to trick her into coming to this dog fight with him. And I just think that that is so messed up. Um, I mean, I wrote down the lyrics. He says, uh, look in these eyes, they ain't gonna hurt you. But that's exactly what you're doing. They're, you're exact, that's exactly what you're doing. You are going to hurt her. It's just sleazy. And ugh, it really just puts like a damper on that character. Not that like what the whole situation and the whole show is about isn't sleazy, because it is. And it's disgusting. And it's horrible that these, these types of things even happened. But like in that moment and come to a party, it just like grinds my gears. It just like really gets me. I get I get so mad um, during that song. Now, this did not stop me from desperately wanting come to a party into nothing short of wonderful as a scene in um, college. I really, really wanted this as a scene study scene, mostly because I wanted to work on nothing short of wonderful because um, I think, sorry, I'm kind of like going back and forth on things, but I think Nothing Short of Wonderful is such a good acting song because there are so many moments for decisions and actions and beat work. And it's just like, she's frantic and she's going from this to this, to this, to this. And then she has this like totally like, there's like a mood shift in the middle of the song and then she goes back to it. And I think as an actor, that would be really, really fun to play. I also just love kooky, I love playing kooky characters. Um, and so I really, really wanted Come to a Party into Nothing Short of Wonderful as a scene. I ended, I did not get it, but I ended up getting a Carrie scene instead. And that scene kind of changed my 
uh, it kind of really propelled me forward, um, on my journey. So, um, maybe that was important, but you know, like dog fights still would have been fun to have, but anyway, <laughs> regardless of that, um, back to Eddie's journey through the score. So we have come to a party and then we have, um, I would say his like next turning point is kind of, um, first date last night. We see his, we see Eddie's journey more through dialogue, um, than song, but first date last night is kind of his shift in attitude. Um, that whole like through line of that song, even into the, the reprise, um, and the journey that they go on through that song. And then, um, of course, uh, give way. He doesn't sing, but like we have that moment. And then the next time we see him sing is come back, like really sing. He sings in like a, a song goodbye, maybe to say goodbye. Um, but where we really see his next shift as a character is come back, which is one of the most devastating songs I think written in the musical theater canon. It is just like, I mean, if you don't cry when you listen to the song, you're simply not human. Like it is so, oh, it just tugs at your heartstrings. And it's so like the fact that like this is like based off of real life too. It's just like you, you understand what is happening to him in this moment. He, you know, ha- was bright eyed and bushy tailed to go into this war that turned out to be the complete opposite of really any war that they've had in the past. I mean, this was the first war that like, you know, we really, America really didn't win. And it was just like such a like, uh, a hard devastation. And when they came back, they didn't get these big parades because, um, you know, the war was kind of like, it never like, it, it went on for so long and they weren't coming back in these big units. They were kind of coming back by themselves. And so there weren't these huge welcome back parades. We moved into the time of the, you know, the, the hippie movement where we had the um, peace, no war, um, no violence kind of movement. So they were, you know, he, they weren't being welcomed back with open arms. And really when they were coming back, other people were being sent off. So it's not even necessarily like, you don't want to have like a huge like welcoming parade for like the couple of soldiers who are coming back when you know that you have to go and send more soldier soldiers into like one of the most devastating wars in American history. And um, so it just like to see that that section of the show and to see where the character is at and what happens to him when he goes through this war versus the expectation that he had at the beginning of the show is just so devastating. And I mean, the song is just perfectly written. Like every time he holds out that, I don't even remember like how it goes, but you still come back, you still come, or, or no, it is, he says, um, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Like that is just like, oh, like it just like pulls at my heartstrings and I love it. I love it so much. It's so, so good. So anyway, that was like a big overall arcing of me talking about how I love that the score is, it follows like the character's journey and we have to see this song to get to this song. Then we, But we have to also have this song to be able to get to the through line and find the character developments in within the characters through the song. So that's something that I really, really like about the score. I also think Pasek and Paul are just really, they're clever in creating and crafting a catchy tune. 
Um, I mean, we see that in Dear Evan Hansen, right? Like we, we acknowledge that like all of those songs are pretty much jams. The only song I don't really love in this score is that face. It's just not, I feel like it, it kind of sits outside of the rest of the show. It doesn't move the plot along. It's, it's, and it's a, it's a jukebox in within the show. It's a jukebox type of song. Like the guy knows that he is singing. Everyone knows that the guy is singing and it, it has like a different vibe, from the, the rest, it's just, like, one that I just don't tend to, like... I mean, I'm, I'm jamming to all of these songs on the subway, and it's one that I will, like, tend to skip. Um, I will say that while I do think that some of the, the, the songs, um, they do craft the journey, and they do move plot along, there's a lot of, um, like, moments where the songs, I feel like, could just be, like, crafted a little bit better. I feel like there's a... And, 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 I will say this, I have absolutely no right to comment on the composition of any type of orchestration simply because that is not what I do. That is not my forte. I know nothing about musical composition. Um, I am very glad to just stand here and be handed a score and to um, sight sing it or, um, you know, just like uh, deliver what the professional, you know, um, com- composer and lyricist hand me. I'm very happy to do that. So take all of what I'm saying with a grain of salt, of course. Um, but I feel like, um, because I have no right to be saying any of this, this is not what I'm qualified to do, but I just want to comment on it because it's just a podcast and these are just my thoughts and I'm just talking about my thoughts. Um, I feel like a lot of the songs, there's a lot of repetition um, I mean, how many times do we hear Eddie Birdlay say, come to a party with me? Look, just come to a party. Like he says it probably 500 times in the song. Um, again, and also with Nothing Short of Wonderful, she says it a lot. And I think that there's like, there's a good, like uh, there's, a, there's a, it's necessary, but it's also like there was opportunity, I feel like, for something, um, like, a little bit different. Like, I don't, I don't, and I don't even know what that is. It's just, like, this is my, from my, like, totally, like, I don't know how to write music or lyrics, um, mind. It's just, like, it feels very repetitive. Um, with that being said, though, what they do in Pretty Funny, one of the most devastating songs in the show, um, I would say next to Come Back, is they, they take the phrase Pretty Funny and they parallel it throughout the song. So at the beginning of the song, we see her say, um, isn't it funny you believe, uh, what, what's the lyric? Um, uh, pretty funny. Um, and so she says that versus, isn't it funny he believed that I could be pretty, comma, funny. So there's a parallel and I love that contrast of lyrics. It just gets me every time because you, you know, like, you see Rose as this um, really positive, optimistic character. So it's almost like when she when she's singing Pretty Funny, it's almost like she's kind of making a joke of it. Um, and we see that optimism. But then at the very end of the song where she sings Pretty, comma, funny, like he thought I could be pretty. Isn't that funny? Because I, I can't be. We really see that character break a little bit um, in the show. And I just think that the that lyric specifically is just so beautifully crafted and I think that that's it's really really well done in the way that they they really show Rose's overall arc in that 
song from we see because I mean at the beginning of the show like Rose is just just like positive naive innocent Rose in that song specifically we see her go from positive optimistic like how can I find the best in the situation you were dancing with a guy like that's so amazing to the world is not full of butterflies and rainbows always and this really hurt my heart and I broke a little bit Um, It doesn't break the character, which is what I like. I like that the character comes back stronger, has a new outlook on life. I really, really like that, that it doesn't break her completely. And again, like the show is smaller scale. So I feel like we, I feel like there could have been more plot line where we see Rose really go from that broken moment to like, now I'm going to transition into this more powerful female um, personality. Um... But we don't because it's a smaller scale show and it's also sh- um, it it is shorter. So we go straight from that to the next scene with her and Eddie, and it's the scene before first date last night where she is just like coming at him. But before we talk about that, I really want to talk about Dogfight because I love this song so much. Um, it's one of my favorite duets. And I also just, I really love the character of Marcy because she tells it like it is. She is not apologetic for who she is. She knows, she knows who she is. She knows, she knows like the position and the, that she plays in, or the role that she plays in, you know, this setting. And she's not apologetic, but she's also not like, I'm not going to give in to your, you know, bullcrap. Like I... I know exactly what you're doing. This is an awful thing that you're doing and I'm not going to stand for it. Um, But I'm also not going to apologize for being who I am. And I think that that's a really good um, personality trait that we get to see in Marcy. And I wish Marcy had like more of a storyline in the show. I know, of course, like it has to focus on Eddie and Rose, but I feel like Marcy, especially girl, if you're going to get Annalie Ashford to play this role, um, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of like, her journey in the show. But again, off-Broadway, smaller scale, smaller plotline, which is more, and we get more meat in the Eddie Rose um, character storyline. But I really love that moment between Marcy and Rose where we have like very contrasting personalities and we have Marcy who is very unapologetic and very um, worldly and... Um, she knows, you know, the, the goods and the bads and the uglies of the world. And we have contrasting that. We have Rose, who in this moment is still very naive and innocent. She's ill-equipped to um, enter this world that she's entered into. And so we have those characters clashing at this same time. And it makes a for a beautiful duet between the two of them. Well, beautiful in any term that, like, scrouting can be beautiful. <laughs> Um, But I really, really like this moment in the show. I think it's a shift for Rose. And it's also just like we get to see Marcy really come forward as a character and we get to see her characterization. And it's really the only moment that we really, truly get to see what Marcy's thought process on this whole, this whole shindig is. Characters I haven't talked about. Let's talk about Boland and Bernstein. I call them douche number one and douche number two. Um, I really don't think that these characters necessarily have redeeming qualities. Um, the whole, I don't under, I I mean, I don't understand this attitude of, um, it's our last night. We need to like, what, why, why do they have to be such, um, 
words that I can't say on this podcast. Um, why, why do they have to be so mean? Why is that shaped by their personality? Like why, why do they feel the need to degrade these females and as a form of like fun? And I mean, there's even the scene with the prostitute and Bernstein cause you know, like he's never had sex and he, um, you know, loses his virginity to the prostitute. Um, and that makes him a man before he goes off to war. And like, I just don't understand. I don't understand that type of personality. So I can't comment on it too much. I also don't know the time period and like well enough to be able to, to like talk on why these men felt the way I feel like it was like, it was almost like a God complex. And I mean, like, you know, men have God complexes in general, um, even in 2021, but back in this time, especially like they, you know, they really like ran the show and it didn't matter if you were degrading, you know, females because that was the norm. And, um, that is really sick. And I hate that storyline. And so that's why I don't even refer to them as their names. I call them douche one and douche two. Um, but I feel like that trio is important to the show overall. Um, we really see the personalities of these three guys. Um, and what, again, it's just like all to set up expectation of what everyone thought they were going to come back to. So we have such a huge contrast when Eddie comes back and sings come back after all of his friends have died in the war. Um, he's seen like this, he's gone through this very traumatic experience. Um, so I do love the contrast from beginning to end. I just don't, I don't love the plot line of everything that happens, but I know that like, that is just the reality of what it was back then. So I'll give it to him on that. I wrote down the mouths on these boys. They literally, I feel like they are cursing in every single sentence. And honestly, if you think that's weird, then you clearly did not go to school for theater in any capacity. <laughs> I would compare the mouths on these boys to like, you know, daily conversations you hear walking the halls of a, a BFA conservatory program. It's just like casual, you know, it's whatever. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. Let's see. I, oh, I do want to talk about the shift in, in Rose as a character. Um, because I really love it. I've, I'm just going to touch on it a little bit because I have talked about it a lot, but I wrote down a very specific quote and she said, when Eddie is, is trying to ask for redemption, she says, you're going to stop swearing. I love that line. It's so simple and it, it can kind of get like thrown to the wayside, but that is a power move on Rose's part. Like back in this time, you didn't tell these guys what to do. They told you what they were going to do to you. And, um, Rose just being able to be like, I'm putting my foot down. Um, I do not agree with what you did to me. What you did was horrible. What you, what you did is probably the worst thing that you could have done. And I do not approve of this. And I am not going to forgive you in this moment. And if you want, if you want any type of redemption, this is my ultimatum. And it's so like, it's such a small thing, but it's, it's more of like, it's a power move on her part. It, it stands for something more by her saying, you're going to stop swearing it's, it's more of a, um, you're going to stop being the, this way that you, you can't treat women like this. You cannot, um, treat people like they're dogs. Um, and that's not okay. And if, and if, if me telling you to stop swearing is the way that you need to learn that lesson, then that's, that's the way. Now I may have just interpreted that 
completely out of the wayside, but like that's my interpretation of that. It's such a power move and I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then um, I also love first date last night, but I wish, and I know that we find this out later, but I always question, I'm like, why did Rose just give in so easy? I mean, it wasn't easy. Like she did like have like, there was this blowout, but like it felt like she gave in so easily to, you know, him and like going out on a second date with him. And I'm just like, why, why, why was it so easy to forgive him? Because like this, like if anyone did that to me, oh, there'd be like gunshots of fire. And <laughs> no, I would never do that. But it'd just be like, it, it would be like un, an unforgivable offense on my part. Um, doesn't matter if he apologized, doesn't matter if he realized that what he was doing, it would just be so unforgivable. And the fact that she does forgive him past a certain point it's just like I just I always question like why like why do we see that and I think in the song there's a lot of unseen forgiveness do we think Eddie deserves forgiveness you know he played master manipulator like on a really high level um that I that I didn't even pick up on until I started like really looking back into the show um, for this podcast, but he plays such master manipulator and come to a party. Does he deserve forgiveness? And if it had been any other woman other than Rose, would he have gotten it? Because Rose explains later why she chose to forgive him, which I have some questions about. She says, because if I didn't come, then I'd be exactly what you thought I was. A lonely, ugly, pathetic fat girl. That's all I would be. And then she sings before it's over. And so basically what what I get out of that is that she she can't let herself be defined by what other people's opinions of her are, which is like one of the overall arcing messages of the show is that you can't let yourself be defined by who others interpret you as. You have to find yourself. And it does, It I mean, it breaks her innocence a little bit. Like she has to see, she sees the world in a new light now that this has happened to her. But I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I don't think that she, I don't think you have to go through that traumatic experience of being heavily degraded by a bunch of men to, you know, really like see the world in a new light. Um, I think that it could have gone in a different way, but I don't know. I mean, that's the, that's one of the overall arcs of the show. Um, so I guess now I could talk about messages in the show that I like and that I don't like. That is one that I don't necessarily agree with. I think that there's room for character development in a different way. I think that Rose really could have come out on top as this, um, really, I mean, and she does this really strong character who does not let the opinions of a guy define her without having to, you know, go back to Eddie. I feel like there I, there was room for character development outside of Eddie, but again, the show's overall arc is Rose and Eddie and their journey together. So I understand why that is, but again, I think it's like a, it's almost like a misinterpreted message, which, hmm, kind of parallels to Dear Evan Hansen. Hmm, Pasek and Paul. Hello. Um, <laughs> Um, Pascal Paul, I love you. I love your music. I love your books. Please hire me. But anyway, um, yeah, there's just like a bit of an, a, a misinterpreted message right there. I think one, a message that I do really like is that your positive, 
influence and your optimistic outlook on the world can really influence the people around you. And Rose does that with Eddie. She, I mean, who who he sees as someone who's really naive and innocent and doesn't know, isn't worldly renowned, he starts to realize that she is living like in this world of optimism and positivity and he he doesn't want to break that because it's affecting him and that's where we see him at the party kind of the wheels start to turn that this is not okay that this that what i'm doing to this girl might break that positivity and that optimism and it does a little bit but it it also like that it again like it helps her a little bit in some character development and then we see the influence that she has later on in the musical on him as a whole. I mean, he comes out of this musical even before the war as a changed person, right? Like he has gone through character development, um, like the, the journey to a T. Like we see him from straight like douchebag to um, caring, loving, kind character, Um to someone he never thought he could be. So I really like that message of the show. I like that if it's it's a message is if you no matter through what situation you go through, if you can if you can find like a positive light and you can continue to live your life as an optimist and not let the opinions and the effects of people who are trying to tear you down and degrade you affect you and you continue to live your life um in this optimistic outlook. And I'm not saying that everything is like butterflies and rainbows. I'm saying that like, even when things aren't, if you can find the good in situations and you can find the growth, that not only has an effect on you, but it has an effect on the people around you as well. And that is a message that I really, really like because that's something that I feel like I like to preach a lot. I try to find you know, the good things in each situation. Cause I've had a lot of situations in my own personal life that have, you know, not gone my way or that really like made me question things and really upset me. And I, in the moment, maybe not so much, but as I look back on them now, I can say, oh, well, if that hadn't happened to me, then this, 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 and this wouldn't have happened to me. All of these good things came out of this one bad thing. And I think that's just a really important lesson in life um, to not take let your failures define you and to um, continue to work hard no matter what is happening and to continue to remember that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And whether it comes in uh, 100 feet or whether it comes in eight miles, like you will get to the light eventually. So that's a message that I really, really like in the show. Um, and with that, that's... I'm done talking about the show. Did I just do that? Did I kind of, I think I kind of rocked that. I didn't go beat by beat in the show. I, oh guys, I've been wanting to do that for so long. I just didn't know how to, but like, you know, I just, I did it. So now of course, we're still gonna talk about favorite character, least favorite character, Tony award winning moment, rating, and the dream cast. So here we go. My favorite character is Marcy because I like her um, no bull hmm, attitude and um I think that in the show I'd really like if I would want to play someone in the show of course I would want to play Rose because I just love 
her arc and everything. But if I had to pick someone else, I would really love to play Marcy because I just feel like she's like, she's not, she's so unapologetic and she is who she is. And that's just the life she was, she's, she's living, you know, and she doesn't stand for any of it else. Cause there's a lot of, that character could have very much been a character of like, this is the life I was dealt. And like, I just go along with it, but like, no, she doesn't. She, she goes along with it to an extent, but also she knows, like, she sees right through the, like, all of the shenanigans. So, I like Marcy. My least favorite character is Boland. I just feel like they, he has no redeeming qualities. Um, he is, a like, not a nice guy through and through. Bernstein isn't very, isn't much better. But I feel like Boland is just, like, a little bit more of a jerk. And so he is my least favorite character. And then moving on to my Tony Award winning moment is, okay, this is like one into it. But if you ever saw, if you saw Dogfight with Lindsay Mendez, or if you watched the bootleg that is no longer up on the YouTube, unfortunately, Lindsay Mendez has this fall right after Come to a Party, right before Nothing Short of Wonderful. Um, when I watched that the first time, I like was on the floor laughing. It was so funny. It's played so well. I I honestly was like, oh my God, did she just actually trip? She plays it so well. It was like written into the show, but she just plays it so well. Um, And then another moment is her interpretation of nothing short of wonderful because you just see clear as day, decision after decision after decision after decision. And the beat work is like, it doesn't miss a beat. And it's so good. It's so fun to watch as an actor. I love watching her act. So that's my Tony Award winning moment of the show. My rating of the show, I am going to give this a seven out of 10 maroon dresses. Also, why does no one like maroon? I love maroon. I wear maroon like almost every day of my life. Don't tell me no one likes maroon. Everyone likes maroon. Come on, Rose, get with the party. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to give it 7 out of 10 maroon dresses. Of course, I think there's room for improvement. Um, but overall, it's a very fun It's a very fun score. Um, I didn't, I feel like I didn't talk about like too much about the songs that the three guys sing together. Um, I kind of talked about the journey of that, but like the whole journey of hometown heroes and some kind of time, those songs are so fun and it just really sets up such a good moment for parallel contrast to come back and what happens actually happens at the end of the show. Um, so those songs are so fun and, um, I love those songs. Yeah. I just wanted to give those songs a shout out. And uh, let you guys know that, like, I recognize those songs. Those are the songs that I literally jam to on the subway. So they're there. I didn't talk about them a lot, but I was more focusing on Eddie and Rose's relationship in the show more so than the three Bs. But anyway, moving on to my dream cast. I think I have created quite a good dream cast for this. So get ready. Um, for Rose, I have said Ryan Redman, a.k.a. Bridget in Bring It On, a.k.a. most recently seen as Olaf on in Frozen on Broadway. Um, amazing casting, if you ask me. Or Beanie Feldstein. I hope it's Feldstein and not Feldstein. I don't know. It could be either. But I think she would also be really, really good. And I did not know, I did not know that she could sing and she can sing. So she would be phenomenal um, in that role as well. And then, so for the rest of them, I only have one. For Eddie, I have my man, Jelani Aladdin, because... 
he's perfect for the role and why not? Like, I mean, if I can sit up there and watch Jelani Aladdin for an hour and 45 minutes, then why wouldn't I? Um, and I think he'd also be really, really good for the role. Um, for Marcy, I said, okay, this one is a little, a little niche, but I said Sophia and Caruso when she's older, I think she would be a really good Marcy. And um, also just would love to hear some of her vocal flair and variety on Dogfight. Um, for <laughs> Bolin slash jerk number one, I have Aaron Tveit. And then Bernstein slash jerk number two, I said Anthony Ramos because it reminds me of, um, I really like his young Philip in Hamilton, but also his character in 21 um, Jump Street really, really reminds me of that vibe. So I think he'd be really, really good. And it would be cute to like see him play like this like nerdy Marine who is trying to seem tough, but is also pretty nerdy. So I think he'd be really good in that. That's the Dreamcast. And that wraps up the musical of the week, people. Very exciting. Um, one of my favorite musicals, honestly. I, I'm, I was very happy to talk about it. So let's go ahead and move into the game portion of the musical. I always have trouble finding games when I have to play by myself because playing a game by yourself is very hard because you can't compete with yourself. Do you guys know what I'm saying? It's very hard to compete with yourself. So, and I feel like I've exhausted all of my um, other options where I'm like, let me just like talk about my favorite musical or where I, you know, try to guess like the theme song. But um, TikTok has saved my life on this one because I saw a TikTok of, it was actually two guys, but I feel like I can play it with myself. They were like, they would give uh, each other a famous Broadway actor or actress and they would say, cast them in a musical that they haven't been in, just cast them. So that's what I'm going to do. So I've called this game Cast It. Um, it's a word I've created um, where cast and it are just mashed up together. Um, so we're going to play Cast It, and I have my nice little hat with all these names of Broadway stars in them, and um, this is this hat can also be seen in the um, What Is My Favorite Musical episode, and um, I'm sure a couple of other episodes as well. So this hat makes an appearance in lots of episodes. So, um, so I'm going to draw a name, and then I'm going to cast them in basically a musical. Um, I really love doing the Dreamcast. But here's the thing about the Dreamcast, like I put like a lot of thought into those things and um, which means sometimes it like takes me, you know, a while to accumulate all of the actors that I am deciding to cast. And this is going to be just off the top of my head. So this should be interesting. But um, um, I'll give like an example before I start, because um, I did not put her name in the pot because I knew like I, I already knew what I would do with her, but Sutton Foster, I would cast her as Nellie in South Pacific. Um, it's too easy. It almost feels too easy. So um, <laughs> that's like what, that's like the gist of the game. And I'm only going to do like a couple because like, I know like this is just, this part of the podcast is more for myself to have fun than um, <laughs> for anyone else. So, all right. So let's start. And the first name I am pulling out is, ah, Stephanie J. Block. Um, Okay, okay, hear me out. I'm gonna cast her as the witch and into the woods. I think she would be a powerhouse. Um, she comes on, to the, she, uh, first of all, her characterization is so good. Um, so like she would play the witch part so well. And then also when she transformed, like she would, she would be able to walk across the stage and every, all of the eyes would be on her. So I think that'd be a great role for her. So next we have Renee Rapp. 
Oh, okay. I want to cast her as Elle in Legally Blonde so bad. I want to do it. I really do. I want to cast her. I don't get that vibe from her. I just don't get Elle vibes. And I don't know why. And maybe it's just a personality thing. Maybe it's just a me. But I don't know why. Because I think she would she would sing the pants off of so much better. But I get... I think I'm going to cast her as... And this might be the cop-out answer. But I think I want to give her Heather Chandler in Heather's. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Heather Chandler. All right, next we have Erica Henningsen. So... I want to keep her something young, um, something mixy. She gives me like, mm, oh, let's go. I want to say Sue and Carrie. I think she'd, she'd be really good as that role. I almost said Anastasia, but I almost like don't know if I want, I think I'd rather see her as like Sue, like a Sue type. Um, so that's, we're going to go with that. My next Haha, I did put Derek Klenna and Lindsay Mendez in this box. So we have Derek Klenna, um, and I'd love to see him as, let's give him Davey in Newsies. And then also, let's go ahead and bring Jeremy Jordan back as Jack so that I can see the two of them on stage together for two and a half hours. That would be great. Um, he, he gives me Davey energy. Um, I think he'd be really great as, as that role. And um, next... We have, I'm gonna do two more. Miss Patty Lapone. I wanna see Patty like play a mom. I wanna see her as Diane in um, Next Normal. Cause I wanna see, she has mom energy and also she has Alice Ripley energy. Um, and if you don't believe me, go watch um, Patty Lapone's tour of her basement. And then, okay, last one. Let's make this a good one. Ooh, Kelly O'Hara. I want Kelly O'Hara. I know that she doesn't give off these vibes, but I want to see her interpretation of Glinda. I want to see Kelly O'Hara be like crazy, <laughs> you know? Cause I feel like she plays these very um, reserved characters most of the time. Oh, I'm really, I, I'd be really interested to see her version of Light in the Piazza um, and her interpretation of that character. But I really would like to see her like, just be like a character actress. Um, course she can sing the role like that's not an issue but and maybe if she was like a little bit younger I think that I'd want to see her as Glinda in Wicked and those that's cast it <laughs> so thanks for playing that game with me um and now we're going to move on to my favorite portion of the podcast which is the advice column and today's advice is one that is very important um and one that I have decided to live by but Listen to the opinions that matter and that are constructive and throw everything else away. You in this business and in life, you are going to get so many different opinions thrown at you. What should you sing in an audition? What type should you be going in for? What should you market yourself as? Um, what types of songs should you be singing for your voice range? Take all of the opinions with a grain of salt because you're going to get different ones and decide for yourself. You have to listen to your own voice more so than anyone else's, in, especially in this business. Because if something doesn't feel right for you, then it's not going to feel right to someone else that you're like, if, the, if a performance doesn't feel right for you, it's not going to feel right for the people who are watching it. So if someone 
is telling you that you, this is kind of like veering into type talk a little bit, but if someone's telling you that you are this type, this is what you're gonna be seen as, and you just don't feel like that is like what your strong suit is, take their opinion, take it with a grain of salt, work towards, you know, like, like work at it. Don't just like throw it away, but like also know who you are as a person and who you want to market yourself as. And, you know, like just don't allow other people's opinions to have an effect on who you present yourself as. It's also like a, a, a success thing. Like it's don't let someone say, oh, if you're not on Broadway, you're not successful because that is not true in the least. There are so many opportunities to be successful in this career path. Broadway is the ultimate goal, in my opinion. And, um, and, and I think in a lot of like people's actors' careers, like, yes, Broadway is the goal, but that does not define your success. If you, you can be super successful and never step on a Broadway stage. And that is just like the fact of the matter. And I wish that we could start as actors, start normalizing that in the society um, and in not only in the minds of actors, because actors know that, like actors know that like Broadway is not like the determining factor of whether you're successful. Winning a Tony is not the the like end all be all. But in like normal society, I wish that people would recognize that um, that just because you're not on Broadway doesn't make you a failure in this career because there are so many opportunities for performing that I just like wish. But like, anyway, back to like the whole opinions of it all. You're going to get so many opinions. Some people are going to love your performance. Some people are going to hate your performance. That is the, that is just the reality of this career. Um, it's subjective. The, and that's what art is. Art is subjective. It's all in the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Some people are going to love you. Some people are not, not so much. You had how you let their opinions, um, affect you and how you move forward and how you are able to block out the things that aren't constructive and aren't helpful and how you're able to take in the things that are and also put your voice into the mix. And do not, do not let anyone tell you that you are not going to make it in this business or that you're not good enough or that you aren't talent, whatever. Like, you know, don't let anyone tell you that because if someone tells you that, like, it, it's just like, it's not helpful. It's not constructive. And if you work hard enough, if this is your goal and you work hard enough, again, light at the end of the tunnel, it may be a 100 yard sprint or it may be a 26 mile marathon, 26 miles. I don't know how long a marathon is, but it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter where your journey is. If you continue to work hard and you do not give up, you're going to find some type of success in this business. It's just inevitable. Like it's just inevitable. Stay positive, stay like continue to work hard, stay determined and don't let the words of other people affect your dream and your goal. And that's the advice of the week. Um, and with that, that wraps up the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to find me personally or reach out to me or ask questions or 
just want to have a conversation about, you know, life or BFA or whatever, um, you can find me on Instagram at underscore Kelsey McFall underscore. And I'm also on TikTok if you want to watch some fun, weird videos um, at KelseyMC137. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. It makes my heart so happy to do these each week. And um, just like whoever I'm reaching out there, I hope that it has some type of impact on you and uh, that you just like get a little bit of light and fun out of these podcasts because I know I have. So thank you guys so much for listening and I will see you next week. Goodbye.